episode number 35. And today I'm here with Hassie Jones, who is a digital strategist with over 20 years of experience in banking, technology, advertising. Hassie, has, she's been focused on big data, artificial intelligence in the last couple of years for startups and larger companies working for folks like Yahoo, City, Cerebri, One Advertising, Aegis Media. She has been a part of Yahoo Answers launch in Canada, which was uh, a platform, a social platform uh, for questions and answers back in the day, which was super exciting. Right now, Hassi is uh, involved with the company Global Privacy and Security by Design, which aims to find new ways of using technology to protect both privacy, security, uh, and business interests online. And we dive into it quite a bit in this conversation. So without further ado, here's Hassi. Well, finally, we solved uh, <laughs> the quick time challenges. Uh, Hassi, thank you so much for being here in coming on as a guest on the show. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Sergey. Out of all guests I interviewed, you have the longest list of roles held on LinkedIn by far. Oh. Do you, like by far, I have not come any, across anybody who had that so many roles. Do you consider yourself a tech journalist, a business executive, or both? Uh, business journalist, that's more of a hobby than anything else. Mm -hmm. I kind of landed in journalism I don't know, like 10 years ago, and I just started blogging. And then after that, I just started actually researching a lot more into some of the topics and then writing more about them. And then over time, um, I got really good at it and got really more interested in, in writing about some of the issues that were evolving around tech. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the stuff that, that, that surfaced because of the rise of big data and the rise of social media and all that stuff and what the implications yeah. are, are, were for individuals, for consumers, for business, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So the more I wrote about it, the more I got interested in the, and the more I got interested, the more I started uh, delving um, more into like the investigative journalism stuff. So it mm. so uh, even though it started out as a hobby, now it's it's kind of grown into something that that's part of me. So um, I've started writing a lot more um, on mm. on Forbes, um, and um, it's it's now something that that I that I tend to to look for in new startups, in new technologies, and mm. new new I'd say practices. Um, and and um, I'd say even looking at, at at new harms that are emerging as a result of stuff, but my my bread and butter is is uh, business, and mm-hmm. and so mainly business uh, from from the standpoint of strategy, marketing um, in mainly startups and new technology, mm-hmm. but more recently um, AI um, ethics privacy, and even blockchain decentralization. So everything that I write about, that I've researched about, I also work in uh, the industry. That's a fascinating way to actually combine the two. And it sounds like, and I've read your articles, they are super in-depth. They are like, they are deep. They're not just surface level. You do a ton of research mm-hmm. and it does take time to actually understand what you're saying because you pull some 
some heavy sources and it's not just your opinion like a lot of articles would be how do you combine being in like your hobby side that is getting really big with being an executive role because that's a, a lot of time a lot of big commitment uh so part of it is is focusing on the things that you want to do right and uh yes it does take time so so a lot of it is learning and so you literally have to park time aside to do the research and to read a lot and to talk to people and to, mm -hmm. and to just schedule it like it was a meeting and when mm -hmm. you schedule that you also have to schedule the time to write the article schedule mm -hmm. the time to follow up and schedule the time to, to actually post it um, because at, at the end of the day it's I, I mean there's going to be no value if you can't share what you've learned and mm -hmm. so you have to be disciplined and committed to try to get those things out on a timely basis and so i've been lax lately but i try to do at least once a month and um like mm -hmm. you said there have the, these are not my opinions some a lot of them is our research but i've also reached out to, to people in industry who are subject matter experts mm -hmm. within these areas like like explainability right like decentralization yeah. so that mm -hmm. so that i i i do it from the from the standpoint of um expertise and not necessarily just opinion right, right. So I guess your answer is you make the tie when you think it's important enough. <laughs> you have to, um, yeah. Yes, it's absolutely. fun too, right? It's it's fun, like an it, yeah. So you spend time doing the things that you love, and that's essentially my rule of thumb. Hundred percent, and I mean you wrote a lot of articles, and I will we will dive into the work you're doing at the moment, which I think is fascinating. But before that, I wanted to ask this question. Tell me about. A uh, question you posted on Yahoo soon after the platform launched that meant you that made you look at the power of the community in a different way because because I thought that was a fascinating story. Yeah, so I I actually started out really as a marketer and um, you know for me that's that's all I really wanted to be in life and then I I think there is a I think Oprah uh, calls it. Um, a crossroads that, that you come to in your career where something happens and suddenly, you know, you have an epiphany about, you know, where your journey should continue. And I was working at Yahoo about, I guess, 15 years ago now. And uh, we were launching uh, a new platform at the time called Answers. It was a, a community. And this is when communities from a mainstream standpoint were fairly nascent. And uh, we were launching Answers um, in Canada, and I was responsible for, for, for doing that. And um, the idea was to be able to use basically crowdsourcing or the power of the community to actually find you the things that they want, you want. And it would compete with search. And at the time, search algorithms were, were fairly new they they were more keyword based as, as opposed to contextual based and like the bullion searches weren't that great and but when you talked about community searches 
because we're talking to people. People had much more experience and and much more context in, into the the things that people wanted. So they would would be able to to surface the things, uh, the answers much more quickly and and to a better satisfaction than search at that time. So um, I was in London, England. In, in January of, I think it was 2006, and um, I was informed that a former boss of mine, um, her, her daughter had passed away from cancer, right. and uh, I don't know why it, it hit me really hard. I think this, this idea of a child uh, predeceasing, their par- predeceasing their parent was, um, you know, it... it, it it was it was important for 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 some reason for me to to reach out to to uh, my old boss and to you know to console her in whatever way I could and I remember my mom had 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 this poem it was on her refrigerator about just that and it was a beautiful poem about you know when your your child passes away like and and what it means to you and 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 what it what it should mean to you uh, going forward as a parent and how to, how to exemplify that in, in your relationship with others. And I thought it was a beautiful poem, but I didn't know much about it. Um, I knew, I knew what it was about. I didn't know the author. I didn't know the words, um, you know, any of that stuff. And at the time on Google, you couldn't search for anything like that unless it was keyword based. So you had to at least know some of the words or know the title or know the author. I didn't know any of that. So somebody asked me to ask the community, the answers community. And I said, but we don't, we haven't really developed the community yet. Like we're lucky if we had like 5,000 people on it. So I tried anyway. So I basically asked what I said to you. I, I said, um, a friend of mine, her daughter passed away. And uh, there's a poem about a child predeceasing their parent. It's really beautiful. I just don't know what it is, what the name of it is, but I want to send it to her. So if anybody could help me uh, find it, that would be great. And I waited. I waited two days. I waited three days. And by by the fourth or fifth day, I was starting to get antsy because I thought, you know, this isn't going to work. There's not enough people on the platform. And, and also I, I just didn't, I, I just didn't think that there was enough information that anybody would be able to do anything about it. So I kind of gave up on it, but by the 10th day and I, I was still, I was actually back home in Toronto by that point. Uh, somebody sent me, somebody posted on answers. I hope this is what you're looking for. And she, she cut and paste the actual poem and I was like, flabbergasted I actually cried because I I said oh my god how could somebody find this it was it's almost like looking for a needle in a haystack and and so that's so I reached out to her and I basically said how how did you find it and then she says oh my god I've had this forever because my my brother passed away and this was something that was given to my mother when when he died and when I saw your, your posting, I knew exactly what you were looking for. So she gave it to me. And, and so from that day forward, I realized that, you know, when, when we're talking about impressions, we're, when we're talking about, you know, garnering traffic and all that stuff, it, it, it's all artificial. 
And if you, if we're trying to delve into how community really works, it's actually building those kinds of relationships um, and, and finding almost like common threads across people, across the ether that don't even really know each other, but, but understand each other at different levels and being able to, to create, uh, give them something of value that, that, has never happened before because we never had this level of connection across these kinds right. of net networks. And, and because of that, it kind of changed my tune. So after that, I started doing, like I, I basically gave up on marketing from, from, from um, the, the context of where I used to, pra how I practiced it and started really looking at community um, and trying to understand not only the dynamics around it, but what it means in terms of this new world and how people are connecting and, and how they're, they're building uh, relationships and how also what the negative implications are of people doing that online versus offline. So that, would, that made a huge difference in, in my life and where I decided to, to spend my time. And because of that, it brought me here. It, it, it was basically the road that forged me into... Um, not only startups, but also big data, eventually into, you know, AI and blockchain decentralization. Mm -hmm. That was the that was the impetus for me. That's a fascinating story. And you went deep into understanding how that works. And that led to, as you said, to AI and, and, and deep learning and, and where you're at right now. And I have questions around it. But it is, it's really fascinating, because a lot of it is in marketing is conversations not necessarily demand typical demand generation like traffic likes and, and leads and shares and i wanted to ask you on on that note in your opinion what are some of the big things in marketing that most marketers misunderstand besides the fact that they have to create a real connection with people I think marketers have taken social media to an extreme and I think they've, to me, they've perverted the, the channel to a point that it's become a marketing channel. And, and so they've, mm. uh, they're manipulating uh, conversations so that it's more about number of followers, number of likes, number of, you know, impressions. Mm. And so they, they've taken the, the ad model and they've applied it to social networks where it doesn't belong. And because of that, um, they've they've tried to monetize a medium, which which now Facebook has famously done, as well as Twitter, mm -hmm. to the point that that it it's 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 made um, the the actual organic discussion almost a, a moot point. Um, but so, so when we talk about like influencers, suddenly um, like mm -hmm. if if you want to amplify your own content or amplify your product then you either buy ads or you buy influencers on that channel mm -hmm. that have the highest number of followers and to me you know it, the minute you start monetizing a channel that that's that's really meant to be organic then and i understand people at com companies have to make money mm -hmm. but at the same time what you're doing is you are um relegating the the actual conversation base and and the the community to to uh, to an ad model that that competes with the true users, 
And, mm. and so um, while all these organic conversations are happening at the side and developing engagement, what, what, what typically happens now is that you're also pulling in people who are opportunistic and are willing mm. to, to be some of the loudest voices so that they can make money off their own profiles. And, mm. and, and suddenly it becomes less about the conversation or more about the conversational list. So that's, that's the sad mm. part of it, and which is one of the reasons why I've left Facebook because suddenly it became a popularity contest. And that's not what it was meant to be, but it's, it's what happened as a result mm. of you know this, this evolution. Yeah, and it's uh, also brought a lot of things that, like distractions and loneliness and uh, psychological disorders that I wanted to touch on in later on, uh, that doesn't help. But do you think there's a there's actually a way for businesses to combine that organic with with monetization, or it has to be almost binary? I think there are ways to do it, but. At the, at the end of the day, like if you have the money to buy on the newsfeed, then, then great. But the thing is, mm -hmm. is that if, if, you're equating, if you're equating the number of likes, the number of retweets, the number of shares with, with how many people are buying the product, that's, a, that's, that's you having to justify the spend because mm -hmm. marketers traditionally have been, have been um, what's it called? Uh, they've been measured based on based on performance and and right. in the beginning it was like how many impressions how many shares how many you know how many clicks but mm -hmm. now but now it's sales it's product sales so if you can right. basically say that i was able to to get the get mm -hmm. get this kind of um, return on investment based on my my activity on these channels, then great. But then to me, you'd have to do some A-B testing to figure out like the value of engagement from a lower number of people who are consistently there month over month that contribute to sales, that, mm -hmm. that, that don't have the high volume, that may have a higher engagement rate but a, a lower participation rate versus those that have let's say a lower click through mm -hmm. that, that have a higher impression rate, but a lower click through rate. And, and it's all literally just advertising. So if they can reconcile those two things, then they'll determine like which one um, is, ha has the best optimized model going forward. Right. And it's just the question of effort and willingness to do it, because as as you know, as, as we know, organic takes time to actually build up. That's correct. That That's absolutely correct. So you um, I want to talk about what you're doing right now. We started that conversation off air. I think it's fascinating. You are a strategic director for global privacy and security by design. Correct. Tell us what you're working on and what are some of the challenges you're looking to solve? So everybody knows what's going on today. Um, there's cybersecurity hacks. Mm -hmm. privacy, is, privacy concerns are through the roof. The great hack, I'm sure, I, I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix. Like that, that's a big trending uh, hashtag recently. That, that, I haven't, but I want to check it out yet. 
Yeah, that so that talks about the uh, the story of Cambridge Analytica, um, mm. the impact of of that company in in uh, using Facebook data to to manipulate elections, but it, it it stems beyond just the U.S. election. It goes into Brexit. It goes into the Italian elections. It goes into recruiting. Um, new uh, military recruits for in Afghanistan, and it and it makes its way and an influence around the world, and how it impacts you know regional regional you know um, events, and and so for for people that haven't seen it yet, it's it's eye opening because if any anybody's been following Cambridge Analytica. Um, they, you, you start to realize that, you know, it's more than just micro targeting. It's more than just, you know, trying to, to get people who are fence sitters to, 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 to make a decision on who they're going to vote for. It's actually manipulating the user to a point that you can influence the way they behave. And, and I think that's, that's, what's really telling and the fact that they have so much data on users with the number of overlays from Experian, from Axiom, all these companies that, that collect, that collect um, information over time without the user consent and, and create very deep profiles um, on them is, is already a form of surveillance that, that people don't realize is happening. So um, at... At uh, GPS by Design, I work with um, uh, Dr. Ann Kabukian. She is the former uh, three-time uh, Privacy Commissioner in Ontario, and she was also the one that that had that created the momentum and created, I guess, some notoriety for herself mm-hmm. in in bringing Facebook to its knees and and basically saying to them, "You don't have like your." How how you're um, uh, developing, uh, pri- not developing privacy, but how, you know, the, the level of privacy that your platform has and, and uh, the fact that there's, the practices are not compliant with the Canadian privacy laws, it needs to change because 70, I think 70 to 80% of our users are on the internet and on Facebook. So if they don't conform, then we will block Facebook from coming to Canada. And I think that was the first time that the FCC um, also recognized that, that there was a lot of things that, that Facebook kept hidden from its users. And so they're mandated to, to change their privacy settings and to make things a little bit more transparent and clear and to give consumers the tools to be able to opt out of things that they didn't want um and so that that's just the first step now but uh dr kabukian has been doing this for many years um it's since since the mid 90s and so uh from that standpoint we're now evolving into okay now cambridge analytica has happened so now what and now cyber breaches are happening more often. So now what? Like facial recognition um, is becoming more mainstay and companies are using it without your consent and it doesn't even work. So now it's biasing people's data and it's manipulating 
um, it's 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 manipulating the environment to to the point that that people can be harmed if they're mistakenly targeted because the software doesn't work. Um, so from from that perspective, like I mean, it, it starts to speak to the point about how much of our data is being used and it being used erroneously, and and what happens when AI takes over. And and right. suddenly the algorithms will will basically perpetuate the same biases and issues that we've developed because we didn't have the forethought to stop it before it happened. So mm. we're we are we are in the midst of um, developing, uh, I think I guess more of a stealth initiative that mm. that that is privacy first that 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 tells people that that you need to keep doing what you're doing, but do it from a standpoint of being informed and knowledgeable about what could happen if you if you give up your data. And people aren't mm-hmm. going to give up their data because because progress states that, you know, um, technology technology is going to give people that what give people what they want in the convenience um, that they want it. So how do you how do you um, allow that to happen while while also ensuring that there, there's a level of security that people um, can get and and as we know technology technology is so much faster than regulation regulation can't can't stop progress and they can't they can't regulate it fast enough because everything takes time. So technology needs to be a solution in tandem with what's happening with the GDPR and, and privacy laws. So, and do you do you think like if we look at the biggest tech companies right now, Apple and Google, they have slightly different approaches, but the Google's advantage is that they will use more of the user's data, but they will provide this better user experience in theory and. Right now, with fragmentation of Android, it's harder to see, but you could get a sneak peek with using their branded Pixel, Google Pixel devices. Right. Uh, but you have to give up a little bit more data. Versus with Apple, you don't have to, but you definitely give up a little bit of that personalization and that those shortcuts, and it's just not as intuitive. It doesn't really do, do it as well. It doesn't really read your mind, so to say. Do you think people are willing to make a trade-off to go Google way, or there's a stronger argument to do what Apple is attempting to do? So I think maybe five or six years ago, um, and maybe even today too, there's a gap in knowledge um, with people in in general Mm. when it comes to privacy. Um, I had this discussion today with, with some people at work are people really concerned about privacy or is there a lot a lot of lip service against mm. it? Do they really yeah. care about it? Or if they do, are they willing to close their Facebook account? Are they willing to, you know, give up Gmail? Are they mm. concerned enough that they understand what's going on, uh, you know, with these big tech companies that they're willing to to go to alternative sources like Brave, close down Chrome, um, go to yeah. let's say Proton Mail and close down Gmail. If mm. they are, then they're truly concerned about their privacy. If they're not, 
then I, I think many of them, many of them are willing to, willing to get the convenience and forsake their privacy to an extent. I mean, if it, there's a reason why uh, Facebook continues to still make money, hmm. right, on their yeah, ad model. Absolutely. There are people that say they're concerned, but they won't. It, it's very hard to close down their Facebook account. I've closed it down knowing that I, I've spent, I spent, oh my God, it was since <laughs> July, since it was 2006 that hmm. I, when, when they came to Canada. And, uh, and, and that was, that's 13 years. 13 years worth mm. of my data on Facebook and I deleted my account. Um, but what I also did was I downloaded the data and didn't realize how much I actually gave to them. And, mm. and so I'm doing that now in the process for both Google and Apple. So I understand exactly what I'm giving up. And I think if people took the time to do that, they'd understand that it's it's not only um, what's there that's being used, it, it's it's to the extent that it's being used that you have no idea. Um, right. Right. But yeah. yeah. But it also sounds like it is way over, like it's way above the head of an average consumer, and they probably would never invest the time to understand how the algorithm work and what would, what can be done with their data unless somebody exposes them to that, which. Could right. or could not happen. And, and and they're right. I mean, or they could watch the great hacks and suddenly they'll realize. Um, yeah. There's a reason why Edward Snowden is in hiding because he's exposed exactly what the governments are doing um, with, mm -hmm. with people's data. And and uh, what people don't realize is, is how much information that's out there that, that's being used by not only companies, but governments and, and all that. Like, I mean, Brexit and and the U.S. elections were just the tip of the iceberg. There's there's mm -hmm. so much more that can be done once you overlay like all all other uh, data sources um, from from banking to credit, credit scoring, etc. And then on top of that, you have uh, the centralization of data, which which creates a, a vulnerability to hacking, which is something that we've seen consistently month over month, uh, mm. year over year. And uh, so once that happens, then what you don't realize is that your information could be potentially or is being sold on the black market. And so companies that, that are willing to pay that kind of money to to understand your debt levels like how much mortgages you you know what what mortgage you owe what your actual mm. bank accounts are you know those kinds of things so they could use that as a way of surveillance or or just use it as a way to to sell in the black market so companies could could actually target you um as well i mean that until somebody actually gets hurt from it they will mm. continue to do what they do I think that that's the problem. If there's personal harm involved, but if they're getting the convenience, then the, then you know they're okay with it. Right. I think there's a greater ignorance about it just because people like me that talk about it seem like we're crazy or we're paranoid or we're conspiracy theorists. Um, but it's there, and but, but but like you said, it's the regulations are going to be lagging always behind the technology, right? Unless somebody gets hurt, then then the regulators will look into it. Yeah, or but the and there's not much of an incentive, or I, I say 
they, they don't disincentive maybe that's the better word because if Facebook gets fined five billion dollars um, that is that is a slap in the hand from their perspective because they can make that up within a quarter and then the shares went up so the it didn't really matter to be, yeah. the, sh the shares went up because their business model didn't change so while they were they were fined that amount of money there was no there was nothing that said that they had to change what they're doing they mm. were just they were just basically penalized for it so if if that was the case and they said now you got to change you can't do ads you can't you mm -hmm. have to get rid of all these partners that that can increase the contextualization of information about each individual user that would hurt them tremendously mm -hmm. and suddenly like their micro targeting would be you know uh, general at best yeah. probably but there's um, there's information out there that talks about the the kind of stuff that they're doing that that where they're tracking people through other technologies that that that, that may not necessarily need overlay from partners mm. so you know it's um, data is gold right now uh, totally and, and what do you what are your thoughts on on Facebook Libra since we are talking about Facebook is it is it necessarily the Facebook initiative or is it really going to be controlled by all those other members independently I'm just curious to I don't to, to I, I don't think. know enough about Libra but I mean the fact that they're they're moving into into the crypto market and that they're trying to find new ways of monetization means that you know one, one of the reasons why um, a lot of uh, startups have gone into uh, blockchains and they've gone into the crypto communities is because they're trying to evade the Googles and the, the Facebooks of the world and the Microsofts. Because as you know, um, when, it, when it comes to, you know, how do you make Facebook better? Well, they will, yeah. they, they need to be able to buy up the competition. That's what they did with WhatsApp, Instagram. They were trying it with Snapchat. And, you know, there are companies that, that really want to do well. They don't want to be bought by these guys and suppressed in their technology. Um, you know, it becomes irrelevant and all their developers end up moving to the mothership because it dis disincentivizes competition. And so they move into, into safe spaces like blockchain where they can get um, investment from from you know blockchains or sorry people who invest in uh, cryptocurrency because it allows them to to develop their technologies in a safe place and without without the threat of of these bigger guys but now that right. they're they're moving into the space it it becomes like it's it's hard to say like what what's going to happen to that community like how do you evade a facebook that, that's moving into that space. And at the same time, given given their size, how will they end up influencing, let's say, the monetary, like, um, so the markets um, in general? Um, and they could. I, I, I don't I don't know I, I, I don't know what that looks like right now and it's hard to it's hard to imagine like what kind of impact it will have so I'm, I'm watching it I'm not making any any judgments at this time but it is uh, disturbing 
let's just say. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what they do. And but Facebook's reputation is is tough, and um, everybody's whenever the Facebook name has been mentioned, I think everybody's very. Um, going to be really concerned of what's going to, what are they doing, and, and especially why they're doing it, even though they're not necessarily developing the technology with Libra. But since it is coming from Facebook, it, there's, it's got to mean something. So uh, it is, it will be fascinating to watch. I wanted to ask you about AI, like your thoughts on where is it going from where it is right now? What does it look like in the future from the marketing perspective, from the personalization perspective and is deep learning actually slowing down and we're not there yet just your thoughts on uh deep learning is getting there it's not there yet it but Mm. i think we're still i think the problem with what's been marketed out there is that the hype of ai um, assumes that you know we're at the point of killer robots of full automation um, unsupervised learning, reinforcement learning, et cetera. We're not like we are, mm-hmm. we are still in supervised learning. A lot of what's out there is, is still it in effect data labeling. Um, we're, we're moving, uh, quicker, but, mm. um, like when I say data labeling, it's, it's, it's like when they have news about Google, um, yeah. and, and let's say Alexa, it was at Google Home and Alexa actually listening to your conversations. It's 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 not that they, it, it's from the standpoint of technology and it's how to, it's mm-hmm. it's like how to make your your uh, experience better. They have to listen to you in order to to teach or to train an algorithm how to understand, let's say, different voices um, right. or different accents or the different ways that, that people phrase things, right? And, and so- And they do it on a small sample, right? They don't do it on a, like everybody, would they do it on a small sample, like anonymized set of data. That's, that's what they would, I guess, say? Oh, they may say that, um, but, <laughs> that, but we, we know for a fact that uh, they have enough information that, that whether or not it's a sample, they know who is speaking and they, they can keep that hmm. data as, as long as they want. The the unfortunate thing is that again, it's consent, it's it's lack of transparency, and people don't realize this. And and people are willing to talk to Siri and to just play with Siri and 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 play with Google Home and 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 Alexa to see how much information they can get out of them. And yes, they are training them, but at the same time, if there's a person that's listening, even to conversations that that. Um, you're, they're not meant to, to listen to. That's that's problematic. I think like the other thing is, is that you know once people realize that they're doing this, they get super paranoid. Like, can I turn it off? Like, if I unplug it, is is Alexa actually turned off, or is there a hidden battery? So so people become worried that suddenly the things that they mean to say. Or, or they don't want to say they have to say they actually have to go into the confines of a, a room in their house where the, it could be from earshot of the technology, which is not right. Um, a friend of mine who's an engineer uh, basically said that she she was testing different types of music to see whether or not 
um, Alexa would understand it. And so she would, she would test text, uh, sorry, test everything from like rock music, etc. And, uh, she would test uh, also like Bach and, and classical music. And she realized that at, at some level of pitch or whatever, Alexa wouldn't understand. And she, so she could filter or, or block, um, um, Alexa from, from really understanding what they're saying. But why would we have to do that? Are we, we're basically inadvertently letting them in yeah. to our ho- homes without, without realizing that, that they're there. So, and it's been happening for a while, but I, I mean, right. it, it, yes, it, it, it does improve the technology, but why not be transparent about it from the outset? Right. Why, why make yeah. everybody believe that this is, this AI is actually happening? So it, it, it's, it's, it's totally fascinating. It's also from the perspective of like, for example, Google, there's, they are, they're going in to announce there's new, uh, Pixel 4, there's a new phone in October that will have they will have the face unlock feature that that's the, what they pre-announced and they bought they were buying people's face data for five dollars in the United States so they would give you like a credit card people would be walking in the park and so that's interesting and we'll see how that gets integrated in their into their oh, ecosystem. Oh, it's 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 pathetic actually, but I mean it, any. The, the one thing that that's that's readily apparent with a lot of these applications is is how do you collect data when you want people to engage with your application what you do is you appeal to their egos and mm-hmm. and so the one application that uh, I think it was trending for a long time they had tons of users on it for a while until they realized that it was more of a, a breach um, not a security breach, but but more mm-hmm. of a privacy breach was the the facial recognition app that that allowed you to see yourself when you're older. So they they put right. age yeah. and wrinkles, and then what they what they realized later on was was that if you read the terms and conditions, they they could you they the minute they had access to your, your face, they had mm-hmm. also access to all your photos. You've already given them access to all your photos the minute you share right. share that face, but also like it's so it was built uh, it was built in Russia, which mm. I mean in in a lot of ways like I I, I don't I, I don't like discount like a lot of the developers there but the problem is is that when it becomes when it becomes a political you know um, mm-hmm. ball and and you could potentially use it. Um, to collect data on on other uh, on Western economies, especially now that it's yeah. such a problem because of the U.S. elections, mm-hmm. then then you know suddenly you're you're creating um, a, a huge separation between countries because of technology, and and for whatever reason maybe this was not a political thing, maybe it was just something that was for fun, but. People are too trusting of these types of technologies, and they shouldn't be, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's, and unfortunately, it's not until after the fact that it becomes, that, that people become aware of, of what they've already given up because they've downloaded the application. So can they get right. that back? I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's it's a hard one, and it is it is hard not to use Siri or use uh, Alexa or, or or Gmail at the moment. Uh, and I, I 
I don't know what's the what's the right balance. Like, unless you give up all of that for, and then go with a flip phone, but that's hardly an alternative, right? No, you there. I mean, I think so. There are different. I don't know uh, products that are being built out there that are privacy first, and mm. it's very difficult to build an application that's privacy first and make money at the same time. You yeah. you can't. Because unless there's demand for privacy, which is starting to rise, but whether or not people are willing to pay for it or people are willing to even try it, that's another question. Um, and, and the fact that you, you, know, you can't necessarily make money from privacy mm-hmm. because the, the data that you give up um, because a company doesn't have as much information and it relies on the consumer consent to to let them use their data reduces the reduces the effect the efficacy of the application itself right but right. if you gave so if you think about different models to to be able to give the consumer control over their information and i think about this and i think of andrew yang the uh, the american um sorry the he's a democrat that's running for president and his whole stance is on universal basic income to give everybody like a thousand dollars a month, um, right. right? In in the face of impending automation of everything, and to me is you want to make the users happy, then not only give them control over over their own data, make sure that they own it, but also allow them to make money off of it. So if you want to use my data for something, does you want to sell me something? But you want to to use my information because um, I am the right target market, and my information will help build a better algorithm for you. Then give me, you know, a percentage of sale or something. Like figure out a business model that will eliminate, let's say, um, the Facebooks and the Googles of the world for, from making money off the backs of consumers. Give give consumers a cut of those dollars so that so that they're incentivized to share their data but in a way where they have control and they have transparency and they have and and they provide the applicable consent um and it's not it's not like uh once i give you consent then you have it forever it's a one-time consent for the one-time data used for that one-time thing that you paid for and so that model is going to be difficult, but people are talking about how to do that from now on. Does that mean that the ad model is going to die? Potentially. Because the way apps are working and the way AI is working is that once, once um, data is fed um, continuously, um, let's say, into your own application and you as a user, it'll figure out what you want, when you want it, like what are the things that you care about, what are the things that you don't care about, and so it's going to be customized to a point that the networks, the ad networks may not have access to your information, but you, individual security applications that know who you are um, will, will be able to negotiate your wants and needs on your behalf to get the things that you want. So it, the tables have turned um, in that it's, it now understands your behavior and, and so you're able, it, it ends up being more of a pull from the consumer side as, as opposed to right. a push from the business side. 
Yeah, it, it sounds like there there are multiple things that needs to happen to to make that work, like regulation, different potentially different operating system, uh, something closer to iOS and Android, and and also a business model or willingness to find that business model that would work. Yeah, and regulation is going to be a big part of it because especially when you're a bank and especially when you're a retailer or um, I guess insurance, mm -hmm. they're heavily regulated. And, and if you can't do anything because of potential financial uh, risk or, or compliance, then you're not going to do it, right? Um, and, yeah. and, and so that has, to, that has to come swiftly from, from industry um, because at the end of the day, the, the vulnerability to the individual um, consumer data is, mm. is at risk. And they want to minimize that as, as much as possible. So yes, will it impact their bottom line? Probably. But, but from a compliance standpoint, they may have no choice. So that ha it has to work right. together with regulation. And, and banks will have to work with industry to figure out other ways to monetize or figure out, figure mm -hmm. out ways to, that, that they can give stuff to their consumers in a way that, that satisfies whatever that communication channel ends up being. So... It will be fascinating to watch uh, as it unfolds. I'm, I'm sure. Um, there is this meme that I've seen that was was too, truly fascinating. Uh, it was basically it said it showed a crowd of people and people were walking, uh, kind of looking at their phones, and I think they had it was like a green screen and, and green eyes, and robots were sitting on benches uh, and reading a book. And it said, "Humans are hooked. Machines are learning." <laughs> yeah, uh, but but it but it's but it's actually you know it's funny and you know we laugh and I shared it with my friends. But it's actually the truth because humans are totally hooked on the tech. It's ridiculously addictive. I was curious to hear what you think about how can people approach tech, approach social media, uh, approach their apps in a way that doesn't really promote or doesn't. Um, doesn't really develop loneliness, distraction, depression, and all of those things. Maybe something you're doing it from your end. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I, I've gone, I've gone the to one extreme, and I've un, unplugged from Facebook. But for but a lot of it also was was for personal reasons, and it, it did bring up a lot of anxiety. It was the whole FOMO thing. And, and also, I think it just, I think the, the addictiveness what, to, to actually go in, figure out what people are doing, and, and actually almost compare yourself to, to people's, to people's um, I don't know, uh, their, their successes, et cetera, was, you yeah. know, that's disheartening. And, and on top of that, you know, the discussions were, were very, they're poisonous. And it, it, the unfortunate thing is that the the political discussion has been has been wrought with a lot of divisiveness in the last so many years that it, it's 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 actually you know uh, severed a lot of friendships, and and for me it, it was it's like you know leaving leaving home because. Because I was there for 13 years, and then I had to finally unplug 
because I think for it was it was mentally I had to do it, but also I knew that that I had to get on with my life, get on with business, and and for people that are able to to talk to their friends on Facebook while they're working and all that stuff, it's like what's suddenly what's more important because because if you if you do that and then and then you you're also on the Facebook Messenger and and you're also on these groups which are terribly engaging etc and and you're in family stuff then then they've already hooked you right, right. um but the the reality is is that how are you faring at the end of the day do you have time for your family do you have time for your kids do you have time to go outside and enjoy the physical world, right? Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's what people are missing. That they they don't realize that a lot of these relationships are artificial, and that the one the the relationships that count are the ones that that are around you, and they're the ones that are faltering because of social media. And so, if people if people took the time to figure out what the true relationships were. Because at the end of the day, if these yeah. networks go, and let's say the connectivity to the world, you know, is severed for 24 hours, where are you gonna go? You have family, you have friends, you have, you, you can't connect it's anywhere. You so true. So honestly, honestly like, uh, I will, I'll jump in. I had a situation probably a week ago, was su- supposed to do the work, was working from home, happened that uh, they cut the power, so there was no power, there was no internet. And I was like, well, there's only there's only one thing I can actually do. I can use my go use my Apple, uh, my Amazon Kindle and going to read the book. That's it. There you and go. It was, it was a great, it, it was a good feeling. It was a very strange feeling, but that was the only thing I could literally do. Yeah, it, there, I have a, a nephew who's a developer, and mm. he went away to Europe for three months, um, but he didn't, he didn't bring his laptop, and uh, it's, it's hard for a developer <laughs> when you don't have your laptop, right. so, but he had his phone, um, and I said, so what did you do? And he goes, he bought a ukulele, and he learned mm. how to play it um, using YouTube, and so he came back, and... Um, <laughs> He became an expert ukulele player, and he takes it wherever he goes. And I said, "That is amazing." And the funny thing about you know somebody who who's always coding for the internet, he loves board games, right? Mm-hmm. And he loves games in general, and he loves just being with his friends and and family, playing a game around the coffee table. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah, that's to me that's true balance that's that's what you need and i think but again it's a generational thing and the younger kids are used to it but i i i always try to make sure that my kids have the balance of seeing their friends um outside of you know their social networks Mm -hmm. and you know going out with them like for my son going skateboarding right right and spending time with them at the mall if they wanted to but but just getting out of the house and getting away from the potential anxiety that comes with being on these networks so and they're learning i think i think the younger kids i'm hoping um Mm. see see that balance and they they don't get hooked onto the you know the the peer pressure um that goes with being part 
of these types of communities. So we'll see. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that uh, that's the way it works. And I think the first step will be self-awareness of being aware of that. Oh, actually, I'm I'm probably off balance. This is actually hurting my life, my relationship, my mm-hmm. professional life. And then what I need to do to to maybe get myself back on track and understanding the difference between pleasure and true happiness, right? Because pleasure are two different things. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. Hasley, what are some of the books that you keep coming back to? It could be business, psychology, or some of your favorites. So there's a few ones, a few that I that I read. There's um, Nassim Nicholas Taleb as mm-hmm. the Black Swan, like that. That's a good one. That's yeah. one that I'm reading. There's a couple. There, one of the ones. Oh God, what was his name? I keep forgetting. Uh, oh, Sapien. Sapien. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. that to me that brings everything home. It's it's understanding how humans behave and like how humans congregate. And the evolution of man really talks about, you know, how how communities evolve over time, right? And and what that means in terms of like what's happening cognitively with man. Um, so that's fascinating in, in, in the wake of like, you know, us as evolved creatures and what that means. But I'm also looking at like Robert Shearer who wrote, um, what's it called? They know what you do or they know what you're doing or something. It's, um, he's, it's, it's, it's literally the surveillance part of, of data. And, um, so I, I look at that and there's also, um let me see i do i do actually read stuff like normal normal books once in a while but (laughs) for some reason for some reason stuff like anti-fragile like i even read like a data data science for business which is really important for for business people to understand without coding but understand Mm -hmm. why how statistics uh, plays into into AI, and and it really starts with a lot of the basics. So, un- and blockchain, interesting, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Very cool. I'll link the ones that you mentioned in the show notes uh, with this episode, so uh, all the listeners can go in and check them out. And I definitely want to read those too. I'm mm-hmm. I'm very much into those uh, same topics. Hassi, where's everybody can find you online? Oh my gosh, um, on LinkedIn. Um, Hesse, okay. jo- Hesse Jones on Twitter. That that's my main area, and I also write for Forbes. So uh, mainly on AI and ethics and privacy. Mm. So okay, I will link that, and um, that everybody will uh, be able to go and check out your articles. Last question, Hesse: What impact would you like to have uh, on on the world with your work, the work you're doing? I just want to make a difference. I, I know that sounds kind of corny, but it just means, I think for me, and maybe growing older, it's 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 less about you know success and more about making an impact in the midst of change, um, because we know that we're in a, in a state of massive transition right now, and if we're not careful, we're going to move ourselves in the wrong direction. And I always look to China and their surveillance society and the autocrat, you know, auto authoritarianism that that seems to be welling around. 
this world and um like all all of that has kind of um culminated in into the rise of data and how people are using it to manipulate populations and people and you know i I don't think that that needs to happen. And I think people are better than that. And so if I can contribute in any way to trying to minimize that kind of effect, I will. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great mission to have, and it's a huge problem that I'm sure, and as you alluded to, it will, it will uh, evolve and will change and probably will get bigger. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, we'll be we'll be watching uh, what you're doing. But um, Hasi, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your your thoughts. No, I, I've been happy. I'm happy to do it, and I'm excited that uh, you had me come on, Sergey. If you guys enjoyed this episode, go on Apple Podcasts and leave a six-star review. This is a six-star only show, as you know, uh, and you can find Ross Growth on iTunes and um, just uh, leave a review and your thoughts. I would really appreciate that. And you can also email me with your thoughts and feedback as well, or you can tweet. It's Sergey Ross 11. Uh, this is my name on Twitter. Uh, that would be really cool. And Something I wanted to mention, and this is unpaid mention, by the way, uh, Google Chrome extension for extracting people's emails on LinkedIn. So if you are trying to get people's emails and you're doing prospecting or you're doing job search or you're doing business development, whatever you're doing, you're trying to get emails, an amazing extension that I just came across is called Sales QL. Uh, just find it on Google, just Google it. And basically you have 100 free emails per month and you and you will gonna get almost certainly uh, people's personal emails and business emails and you and they will be validated so that's really awesome and if you're really into it you really appreciate it so go check it out uh, but otherwise I will see you in the next episodes guys cheers mm-hmm.